The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, good morning, OPCC, and welcome to 2020. It's good to see you all today. Um, Hope you had a great new year. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Acts chapter 19, and we'll jump right in. And I'll start with a real serious question that I have. For you today. What kind of person goes on a show called Naked and Afraid? <laughs> what the heck are these people thinking, man? Um, gonna throw me out in the middle of the jungle. I, I, like, I, I see the, the, even the preview. I'm like, what is this? Like, who does that? They're, they are not giving enough money away to do that. Like, you're not made. Uh, in this fallen, like, when the world was fallen, the first thing that happened was clothes, okay? <laughs> Prior to that, it was, uh, it was fine. But when you start having to deal with bugs and ticks and all that stuff, man, you got to have some clothes on. And so, like, I just, man, like, who would do that? And, and so, like, the, uh, the, the, the second thing is, like, um, like, what kind of person refuses or would willingly <clears throat> live that way. And so in our text today, uh, we're going to look at that. Like we see some people who end up uh, naked and afraid, believe it or not. And so literally, uh, they experience something that leaves them, uh, exposes really their vulnerability. And, and the Lord had a lot to say about clothing. Uh, in Mar- Matthew, I believe it is, chapter 22, the Lord teaches about the parable of the wedding banquet. And he talks about, um, he had this large wedding banquet. If we look at the scripture as a whole, that's sort of what we're moving to is the great marriage supper of the Lamb. So in the future coming kingdom of Christ, as it's ushered in, what we look forward to is that even as we take communion today, Jesus said, I won't do this again until I do it with you in my kingdom. And so Jesus instituted um, the taking of the Lord's Supper on the last night he lived in his physical body. And he told us to remember, do that to remember. Always be a reminder of what I've done for you. And I won't do this again until I sit down with everybody. And so that's very fascinating to think about. Like the next communion that Jesus partakes in, like I'm going to be there. And he's going to be the one serving. And so we'll participate in the elements today and and we're to be reminded of that. And it it is to help us to focus on we're headed toward this climactic event. All of humanity is headed toward this climactic event of the return of Christ and the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And so to teach about it one time, Jesus uses a parable. He said the king, had a, he was throwing a banquet. It was a wedding banquet. And he invited all of his guests, and none of them came. And some of them said they were too busy. I got things to do in the field. I got stuff to do with my business. So they didn't show up. And so as he sent his servants out to, to bid them to come, Um, this is the excuses they were making. And then some of them were so violent that they grabbed the servants and um, they killed them. And so Jesus, or not Jesus, in the the parable Jesus teaches that the king um, told other servants to go out in the street and invite everybody. Just invite everyone. I don't like, so in other words, he sent and the, the, the application of the the, the parable is that he sent his prophets all throughout the Old Testament. And he sent himself, like eventually he even comes himself and he's speaking to the Jewish people. 
And he's saying, look, the Messiah's coming. I'm the Messiah. They reject him. So then it's opened up to everyone, and he bids them come. And people come in from the highways and the byways, and they're all sitting around the table, and the king shows up. And the first question, the thing that he notices, one guy is not dressed with wedding clothes. And he says, hey, bro, why don't you have any wedding clothes on? How did you get in here without them? And then there are serious consequences for that guy. Now, what is the meaning of the parable? The meaning of the parable is if you are not clothed properly in the righteousness of Christ and you haven't been covered um, by him and his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, you have no business at the, at the, at the wedding table. And you will be thrown out. That's, that's, like, that's what we're headed toward. You will not be included. And so we live in a day and age where everybody wants to believe that everybody's in heaven. Let me tell you something. Everybody is not in heaven. Only the people who know Jesus. Like that's, what we, that's what the scripture teaches. Very clear and very plain about it. And so when we think in terms of this idea of kingdom clothing, it is extremely important. And so um, as we jump into the book of Acts, we sort of see a different reality play out that has to do um, with, with, I think I see in it, um, some kingdom clothing. So we jump in where we left off uh, last week in verse 8 of chapter 19, and, and we find uh, that Paul has made these disciples. He's discipling them up. Um, he, he's been meeting with them for, uh, for quite some time, and it says that in verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there. He spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And you'll see this often. Like, this is pretty fascinating to me. They, were, they maligned the way. What was the way? The way was the people, the church. Um, they were first called people of the way, uh, before they were called Christians. And often what you'll see is people who reject Christ talk bad about the church, okay? So when you hear somebody talking bad about the church, you probably are talking to somebody who is rejecting the Lord's will for their lives. It says, but some of them, yeah, so, so they, they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, and he took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on, for two years, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, they were hearing the, the gospel. They were hearing the word of the Lord being preached through Paul. And it's just God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched, that had touched him, were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. That's a pretty extraordinary miracle. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And so there were some guys, like this is a very spiritual culture. It was in Ephesus. If you read the book of Ephesians, it has a lot to do with spiritual warfare. It's that famous passage of Scripture we get, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against um, principalities and demons and, and spiritual forces of wickedness. And so Paul is teaching that and writing that to the people in Ephesus because it was a culture that was just like it was overrun with 
all of these spiritual things, all of this sorcery and witchcraft and stuff. And so there were some people that were going around and they saw the power of Paul and it says some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. So they, they saw Paul doing some things and they, they sort of repeated it. And they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And it says seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, chief priest, were doing this. So they were trying to perform this this exorcism of a demonic spirit over a person. And they go in and it says one day, and as they go and they say, you know, in, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And it says one day the evil spirit answered them. And he said, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Like, whoa, okay, it gets better. He says, who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Okay? And so how would, how would he yank all their clothes up? Well, they didn't dress like we do, all right? They just had this long garment on that was, had a belt around it. You pull on it. Remember the story of, uh, in one of the Gospels, it's, it's noted that, that, that John Mark was probably the one who fleed naked because they grabbed a hold of his garment and it just came off. And so these guys get a real beaten by a, a guy who is um, being controlled by an evil spirit, and they have to run out of the house naked and certainly bleeding and afraid. And this is when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Like people were like, whoa, this is not some normal name here. Because what they would do is they would borrow from different, um, uh, you know, sorcerers would borrow from each other. They would, they would try to incorporate chants to say over things in order to be powerful. And then when they saw what happened with this name of Jesus, man, um, they recognized it and it was held in high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Okay, there are several observations to take away from this, okay? I'm going to make a few today and share some things that I think are incredibly important for us as, as followers of Jesus, as people who are trying to live according to the truth. And so as you're here and you're like thinking about um, what this means, like what you have to do is take these things that I'm about to teach you and lay them over the filter of, of your life. Like lay them over your life and look and go, okay, how am I doing in this? How have I, like where am I at as Jimmy teaches through these different observations and takeaways from the text? And here's the first takeaway that I see is that kingdom people are clothed in kingdom power, all right? Just, if you're a person of the kingdom, you are clothed in the power of the kingdom. Now, it says that extraordinary power passed through Paul for a purpose. It was so extraordinary that if he had worn an apron while he was uh, making tents, and it had touched his body, that they would take that apron, or they would take some handkerchiefs, some things that maybe he would wipe some sweat with, and they would take them to sick people, and these people were cured, and diseases were, were immediately cured. And in some cases, and, and I think this is important to, to establish here, it's important to note that, 
that Luke tells us who he's a doctor. He says there are some things that were involved with evil spirits and there were some things that were diseases. And it's not that evil spirits cause diseases. Sometimes there are just diseases. People get sick because of the fall. And there is a demonic world and sometimes people really are um, being controlled by a force of darkness in their lives. And, and so these things were taken that had touched Paul and, and miraculously, man, boom, like these people were healed. And so... Uh, the question is, is can, you know, like what is going on there and can we expect the same kind of experience? Like um, maybe one of you is sick this week and you send over and say, hey, uh, could somebody go by Jimmy's house and, and get that shirt he had on Sunday and bring it down to the hospital? Not going to happen, okay? All right. You could have the shirt, but it's not going to do you any good. Um, so, so why was Paul like, what is going on there? Well, there are a couple of reasons why the Lord allowed that kind of extraordinary um, miracle to happen. One, the people that Paul were ministering to, like this, this got their attention because this was what they were involved in. They were, um, you have to think just how long it took for them to get deluded in this kind of spiritual thinking. They were into sorcery and stuff. They were into great power. They were seeking out great power. And like the forces of darkness was giving them some, some movement in that. Because again, you have to realize there, there are no churches ever existed. There are no Holy Spirit that is operating and functioning in the lives of believers. The world is a dark place. And so with Paul having the ability to even the things that he touched had power, this made everybody else that had been using some kind of um, delusional uh, control over people that was a corrupt and perverted power. And that's like anything that we see that is evil, it's always a perversion of something good. So they were taking something that should have been good and they were perverting it and using things that they should not be using and they were causing evil to come into the world. So people say all the time, man, I'm chasing rabbits, but it feels like maybe somebody needs this. We say, well, if God is so good, why did he create evil? He didn't create evil. You cannot have evil without good. See, good is created and then it is perverted and it becomes evil. So God does not create evil. Evil happens because humanity perverts good things. For instance, you take a child molester. What does he do? He takes something that is good that God has given us in uh, sex, sexuality and, and being able to engage in that behavior. It's perverted and becomes evil. And so that's, what, that's what's going on here. And so all of a sudden now this power that Paul has is being used. And these people are like, they're, they're going, man, we've never seen anything like this. So it, God uses it to establish that Paul is a powerful vessel unlike anything they've ever seen. That's one reason. The second reason is to authenticate the message. Remember that the New Testament is being written at this time. Paul or Luke is actually recording the events for us and now we have the book of Acts to read about them. How do we know that we can trust them? Because the person that they were written about we could look at as an apostle because he had the, the ability to perform the wonders and signs that were going on during this time. And so we could know that we could trust that what that person said and what that person wrote was from the Lord because he had supernatural ability. Same goes for um, the entire Bible. We see that's how we got it. It's like with Moses, he had supernatural ability so that we could trust that what was written um, it was coming from God, not from him. And so it was to authenticate the message. Now, 
I don't need to be able to authenticate a message. So I don't need that power because I already have the message. And what authenticates my message is that I'm true to what I'm preaching out of. I'm not giving you my opinion and telling you what I think um, we should do and how culture has changed and how we should shift with culture. As soon as I start contradicting the things that we find in the word, then you know you have a heretic in front of you. All right, so I don't, I don't need special power because special power was given um, thousands of years ago to authenticate the message of the word of God. So we have the written word. So your job as a believer is to make sure that as you're listening to a teacher, that he's staying true to the word of God. If he's not staying true to the word of God, your job is to leave that influence that you have. Uh, uh, don't allow yourself to be influenced by that teacher. And obviously, this, this guy thinks I'm a heretic. No, <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. That's awesome. Uh, so I love babies. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so, and so, like, so Paul, he is here, he has this special power. And so can we expect that? No, we cannot expect that. But we can expect an experience similar to that. The Lord expects his power to flow through us. So in my teaching, as I get up to teach from the word of God, I can expect the power of the Holy Spirit to come over me and, and enable me with um, his anointing to preach and teach to you, okay? I can expect that when the Lord creates an opportunity for me to um, share the gospel or to step into a moment, uh, that the Holy Spirit will come over me and give me the things that I need to say in that moment. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about when you're put in different position or different situations. Don't be nervous about what you do and don't know because the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind you of everything that I've taught you and he will give you what you need to say in those moments. So here's, here's what the devil does is he twists things he makes us afraid we won't put ourselves in that position because we're afraid we won't have the right answers. And so we fail to do the things that allow the power to flow through us because we're afraid we, have, we won't have the right answers. And see, that's, that's thinking of the enemy. We have to understand that we don't need to have the right answers. What we need to have is a relationship with Jesus and be clothed in the power of the kingdom. And when that situation comes up, the power of the Lord will show up in our lives and help us to say what needs to be said in that singular moment to bring about transformation uh, for the person. So we don't put ourselves in a vulnerable position because we're afraid uh, that we will not do well. And the Lord says to us, Put your weak self in a vulnerable situation and I will do well through you. But we're all like, I can't lead people. I can't do this. I can't do that. I mean, I just am not made that way. No, you're not. But you have been remade in Christ. And you are made that way. Like I didn't grow up going, yeah, I can't wait to get a little bit older. I'm going to be a preacher. That's not what I did. Like the Lord, he, he just impacted me. I didn't even know I could speak, man. And the Lord just showed me and it just came over me. And the Lord put it in me with the power flowing through me. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse 29 or 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay. So in order to be a healthy believer, the power must be flowing through us. 
If the power of the Lord is not flowing through you and doesn't have an opportunity to flow through you, you are not in a healthy position as a believer. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, God is mad at you. What I'm saying is you are not experiencing the life that Jesus died for you to experience. And so there's this incredible opportunity for the power of the Lord to flow through you. That's why we are so committed to discipleship around here. It's because it creates flow. See, the church has, has kind of got into this mentality of, man, we, 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 just, uh, we have Sunday morning service. We have the, all these incredible programs. The people come, they give, they get a charge each week from the sermon, and then they, they go back out, and, and, and they're in the world, man, and then they come back the next week, and they get another charge. And, and so what happens is people like in my position, man, we get all fired up about the Lord is using us, and look at the people coming, and people are getting saved, man, and we're baptizing people, and, and the church is growing, and I'm like, I'm, in, I'm just on fire because I, I see all the movement of the Lord. Okay, but the people of the Lord aren't getting the same movement that I am. And the only way for them to get the same movement that I'm getting is for them to experience the things, same things I'm experiencing. And what is that? It is the Lord using me to advance the kingdom of Christ in other people's lives. And so as we put ourselves in this position and we are part of fulfilling the great commission of going, go ye therefore and make disciples, then it creates an opportunity for the power that we are to be covered in to flow through each one of us. So thereby coming in together as we're being taught from the word of God and being exposed to more truth, we all just get really fired up. Like we all, like we come together and man, we, we are, we, we are understanding that we're all experiencing the same kinds of things. The truth of the matter is, is, is there ought to be a lot more than two or three people that have preached a sermon in this church. Why? Because we're so filled with the Lord that if we don't get it out of us, we're just going to explode. Right? That's what happened in the, in the early church, man, is the, the, they, the people were clothed in the kingdom power. And as that power came out of them, they never felt more alive. And, and the more life that the Lord put in them, the more life that was spread uh, outside of them and the kingdom just started growing. And so we look at this and, and the takeaway number one is kingdom people are clothed in kingdom power. Here's the second thing, <clears throat> very important. Kingdom knowledge does not equate to kingdom power. Um, so we see these guys, they have a knowledge of the Lord, and they try to invoke the name. They say, we invoke, they were invoking the name, and they say, the Jesus Paul preaches, okay? And so they're trying to access that power. They knew about it. And the, the, the evil uh, responds to them and says, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? So what does that teach us? It teaches us that they had no authority in this situation. Jesus had authority in the situation because the evil recognized it. Paul had authority in the situation. He wasn't even there. And that spirit recognized it because he knew Jesus. Okay? But these guys didn't know Jesus. They just knew about Jesus. So the evil could not recognize them because their identity was not found in Christ. So what happened? They were beaten and overpowered, and they left naked and afraid. All right? Now, <clears throat> the word overpower here is the Greek word katakairio, and it means authority. In uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus used that same phrase when he talked about 
the officials, he, he's talking about them being leaders, his, his uh, apostles being leaders, and, and he says, you know that um, officials exercise authority over people. Okay, so what is happening in this situation is this evil, because of the identity of the individual, um, is able to exercise authority over them because they didn't know Jesus, they just knew about Jesus. And the takeaway is if you don't know Jesus, darkness can exercise authority over you, leaving you naked and afraid. Okay? Now, so that brings us to the thing that where we have to we have to quit. Like when I'm teaching like this, we have to quit going. Well, people they think I know the Lord. You have to quit thinking that way, man. I'm spending tons of time talking to the Lord about people following Him, and frankly, it doesn't matter what everybody thinks about you. What matters is what Jesus thinks about you, and you've got to get right down to the reality of where am I at in this truth that is being exposed to me right now? What is the Lord saying to me? Because it is a, there are some dangers when it comes to this. Um, this whole knowledge um, not equating to power. Let me give you some dangerous things that if you, if you, if you don't know Jesus, here's some dangers to avoid. Like if, if you're not certain about your relationship with the Lord. Um, avoid exercising the power of the kingdom without experiencing it. If you've never experienced the the power of the kingdom, don't try to exercise it. What does that mean? If you have not been transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you praying about certain things in your life to Jesus, it's not going to happen. Like he's not listening. Why? Because you haven't been changed and he doesn't know you. You haven't surrendered your heart and you're trying to like use him like a slot machine. You're trying to use him like these guys were as a chant, like just quoting the Jesus that Jimmy preaches about instead of the Jesus that you know. So you got to avoid doing that. You got to avoid using the language of the kingdom without incarnating it. Like you can't talk about the word of God and talk about prayer and talk about all the things, salvation, if you haven't incarnated it. Like it's good for you just to not talk about it until you've incarnated it, until it has gotten a hold of you, and then you truly understand it, okay? And then the third thing to avoid is avoid professing faith in Jesus without walking out a kingdom life. Like, if you're not walking out a kingdom life, don't go tell people that you're a believer. Just stay silent on it, right? It's not good to do that. So those are dangers to avoid, and so that brings you like, well, what are we to do? Like, what are we to do if we don't think we have this kingdom power and, and we're not clothed in it and then we've got some knowledge and it doesn't equate to the power? Well, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the, where the rubber meets the road. We say, look at, okay, how do we get this power? Kingdom people get kingdom power by responding to conviction. All right, that's how the power comes into our lives. The, this miracle got their attention. And what's the first thing that happens? They recognize the name of Jesus with fear and honor, right? Now, when they recognize it, they come forward, and the scripture says that many of those who believe now came, and what they do? Openly confessed their evil deeds. So when conviction came, they openly came forward and confessed the evil that they were engaged in. 
True belief always brings conviction of sin. When you truly come to a place of faith and belief that Jesus is who he said he was, the first response is, woe is me, I am unclean. I'm a sinner. Like, the, like Jesus is sinless and I am a sinner. And, the, and so this confession of sin comes forth uh, from our lips. And so what happens next? Well, it says the sorcerers and um, these people engaged in this uh, activity, they burned their scrolls. So after confession of the sin, true belief brings a changed life. There is a change in our behavior, and they burned their scrolls. It's, it says it was worth 50,000 drachmas. What is a drachma? A drachma is, is silver, and it equated at the time this was written to a day's wages. 50,000 days of wages. You say, how could that be for books? Well, books were different than they are now. These were written on scrolls. They were probably handed down from generation to generation. They were valuable because they were thought to have had chance in them that would bring about the healing of people and bring about all of this other. So they had value. And so what happened was is these people were so transformed that they immediately confessed their evil deeds and then they came forward and they burned the scrolls. Now, here's what they did not do. Because you look at that and go, man, well, this scroll's worth a lot of money. Well, I'm not going to use it anymore. Let's put this thing on eBay, and I'm going to follow Jesus. That's not what they did. Because they would say, well, I, I don't need that. Because they knew the transformation was so radical in their lives, they knew that what they had been involved in would trip somebody else up, and it needed to be destroyed. And so they got rid of it because it was a false god in their lives, and they recognized that. And so they, what, what do we see here? They responded positively toward conviction. So let me talk about conviction. Because a lot of times, man, I, I really like, I mean, I was getting after it there a while ago, right? I was like getting after it, saying, man, quit thinking about, like what I'm wanting you to do is I'm wanting you to go, am I being convicted right now? Because conviction is a good thing. Like conviction is one of the most important things that the Holy Spirit does. If you study in the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches very clearly that the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict, okay? So conviction is designed to draw us to the Lord. When I'm convicted and I respond to that conviction, it is designed to draw me to the Lord. But the enemy will trip us up and confuse us, and he will cause us to think wrongly about conviction so that when we go to church, we might say things like, man, every time I go to church there, I just feel guilty. And so I don't go anymore. And that, that happens. Like People say that quite frequently. They don't feel, um, they, they, they just feel some shame. Why do they feel the shame? Because they're walking out the door with the same shame they walked in the door. They're just having to deal with it as the truth is being exposed in their lives. And so they either have to make a decision to run toward the light, as Jesus said, would set us free, or to love darkness and stay in it. And so what, when conviction comes, we have to understand that the enemy will use it as a wedge. Again, conviction is a good thing. He perverts it, turns it into a bad thing. It's a wedge and drives us away from God, the very thing that is designed to draw us to God. Okay, so when we respond positively to conviction, so what is conviction? 
Conviction in the sense of like what we're talking about in this, like with the gospel, all right? We could use conviction like, oh, he was convicted of murder, so on and so forth. This is, this is carrying a little bit more weight than that because we're talking about a, in a spiritual context of the gospel that Jesus taught about. Conviction is a sense of guilt and shame that leads to repentance. Conviction is not conscience. Like the Lord will work through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will work and he will convict you, okay? And he will work with your conscience, but conviction is coming directly from God. We all have a conscience, Okay, that's why people will do good even if they don't know Jesus. Man, people are, by nature, there's something good in them. There definitely is something evil in all of us because we're sinners. But there's, like, people are good. You don't have to be a, a follower of Jesus to be a good neighbor to someone. And so, like, there, there's, there's a conscience in us that leads us to do good. It is the moral law that is written on us, and it, again, comes from God. And so our consciences will be used to help develop us, but conviction is God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit bringing um, a, 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 an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame that we have offended him. That's conviction. And so when it comes, it can come in two ways, internal and external. Internally, is like right now I'm preaching and I start talking about, man, have you been covered by the blood of Christ? Do you know Jesus personally? Have you experienced salvation? And you're sitting there and you're going, I don't know if I do. My wife thinks I do, but I don't know if I have. And so that is internally, it is secret. Nobody else knows about it. A lot of times you guys will say things like, man, like, did, 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 my, did my wife email you this week? Like, I have no idea what's going on in your life. It is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is using the things that are being said that the Lord, through the power and demonstration of, 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 of the Spirit and, and the foolishness of preaching, he's bringing about a transformation in your life, and he wants you to listen to it. So that's internal. And then there's external conviction. That is when um, maybe our spouses start getting fired up about following the Lord. And then, you, you know what I see so many times, so many times throughout my ministry, one spouse will start getting fired up by the Lord, and it brings about conviction to the other spouse. They are resisting it. And so the first thing that the other spouse says is, I don't like that church. I want to go to a different church. And so neither one of them end up getting the freedom because they, they walk away because the wife is confused and she thinks, well, man, I'll, I'll, like, if he wants to go to another church, I'll try another church and we'll go there. And they end up not going at all. And, I, man, I, I'm telling you, if you knew the number of times that I've seen that play out in divorce, it'd blow your mind. Like I can, I've called it so many times in my life. They're not going to make it. Because the Lord is trying to set them free, and there's, there, there's refusal of what the Lord is doing in their lives. And so, like, like, so the, the externally, people around us can start following the Lord, and it can cause conviction, not because they're trying to shame us. It's just because they're getting movement, and we're not. So that's internal and external conviction. Um, so why take the time to, to, to spend on this? Because what I want you who is expect conviction and respond to it positively for transformation to happen in your life. I get convicted. 
I've been following Jesus, man, for all my adult life, and he con- the Lord still convicts me over things. And what I've learned to do in following Jesus, what we learn to do is respond positively, uh, positively to the conviction instead of rebelling against it. We step into it and say, the Lord is trying to shape me in this. And then freedom starts to roll in our lives. And here's the last takeaway. Kingdom transformation is how the word spreads and the power grows. So we get the power by responding to conviction because transformation comes in our lives. And when that transformation comes, what happens? Look at verse 20. In this way, all that we learned in this, this, this account that Luke gives us. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So this is why discipleship is so powerful. Because in discipleship, this is all we're trying to do. As we're trying to get people to listen to this voice of the Lord that convicts us to do this, that, or the other. And we take the word and we learn how to wash ourselves in the word and let the word come over us and we respond positively by being obedient to what Jesus is asking us to do. And when we step into that, then a kairos moment happens in our lives. The kingdom breaks out. The Lord does something encouraging. We get fired up, and Jesus is like, come on, I'm going to show you something else. And instead of following Jesus, we try to rely on that one experience for the next five years. And it won't work. You need more and more experiences. That's why we call it following Jesus. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, deny yourself Take up your cross and let's go. Okay? And so the kingdom starts rolling out of us. And and the more we have these experiences, (laughs) this is so this is fascinating to me, and sometimes it's so perplexing, is that we're so intimidated, like I was talking about, people are so intimidated about sharing the gospel. But when you start following Jesus and he starts blowing your mind, the gospel will just come out. You won't even think about, oh my gosh, I gotta go share the gospel. You'll just be going along and all of a sudden the gospel will come out and you'll go, I think I just shared the gospel with that guy. And that's because the power of the Lord is just rolling out of you and you're not trying to do anything but look and listen and follow Jesus. And the kingdom grows and it spreads because transformation is happening through you. We see this happening over and over in the book of Acts. And so, as we come to the big idea, and Corey, come up and let's get ready to receive communion. Here's the big idea. Clothe yourself in Christ or be naked and afraid. Like, that, like we look at them, we see this is so clear. Now, I want to show you as we land this thing, verse 9, it says that Paul In verse 8, it says, he entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, like the things I've been talking about. But some of them, it says, became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So we have an obstinate refusal, okay? This is the word scleruno, and it means a hardening. And what I want you to see is that this is a process. It took three months for this to happen before they finally became obstinate. 
and their hearts got hard and closed to the gospel. And so what you need to realize when we talk about this conviction thing is that the Lord will not always strive with you. Because the scripture teaches that. That when the spirit is convicting, we respond. What is the unpardonable sin? It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us of our sin and we blaspheme against it and say, I don't want to believe that right now. And so as we continue to do that, our heart can get so hard that we just turn away from the Lord and we miss an opportunity to come to know him. And when we come to the great marriage supper of the Lamb and Jesus shows up to serve the meal, he will look and anyone that tries to get in without properly being dressed in his righteousness doesn't get a seat at the table. That's what this whole thing of the gospel is about. And so as the spirit of the Lord convicts us, we have to go, man, what, like, have I given my life to Jesus? And, and if, if I haven't, like, what am I waiting on? And we surrender, and we have to be careful, because if we're not, our hearts get, can get hard, and then it just doesn't even matter anymore. And so I would encourage you right now, before we take communion, I'm going to ask you to just bow and sit with the Lord for a moment. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.